Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment. And we offer a bit of advice to those who want it. Now, full disclosure, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists, but we are experienced self-help critics. We've lived by the rules of nearly 100 self-help books for our other podcast, By the Book, so we've tried on almost every kind of wellness trend out there. And besides, we're not here promising to make you all the best, happiest, richest, most optimal versions of yourself. If all goes well, we'll just help you feel a little closer to fine. Alrighty, Jolenta, we have a couple of excellent advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as usual, we're kicking things off with our hot topic. And today, we have a tasty one. Tasty. Ooh, do tell. Today's hot topic is almond moms. Ooh, almond moms. I've been hearing a lot about almond moms <laughs> lately. They're all over the news. Yes, indeed they are. And uh, if you're one of the very few people out there who has not heard of almond moms, let me just give a brief description. An almond mom places a high value on thinness and sees her daughter's size as a reflection of her own parenting. She's overbearing about what her daughter eats, posing questions like, are you really hungry or just bored? And oftentimes, knowing the word diet is loaded, an almond mom frames her fixation on food and exercise as a concern for her daughter's health, not weight. But 
An almond mom is not just an arbiter of diet culture. She's also likely practicing restrictive eating herself. She talks openly in front of her daughter about her dissatisfaction with her own body and the steps she's taking to fix it. Does this sound familiar to anybody listening? I'm guessing it does. Mm, Sounds (laughs) like a lot of moms. Yes, it does. According to one source I found, and reminder, research links are always in our show notes, the term almond mom was first coined by author Rebecca Walker in her 1995 book, To Be Real, Telling the Truth and Changing the Face of Feminism. But last year, the term almond mom began trending on social media, not because of Walker's book, but thanks to a Real Housewives of Beverly Hills video compilation that went viral on TikTok and Jolenta, I know that you know what I'm talking about here. Yes. Yes, I do. It was a video compilation called Five Reasons Everyone Hates Yolanda Hadid. And it included this infamous clip from 2014. And in it, her daughter, Gigi Hadid, if the Hadid name sounds familiar, that's because Yolanda is the mother of Gigi and Bella Hadid, the supermodels. So in this clip, 17-year-old Gigi called her mom Yolanda to say she felt weak. And I believe she called from a photo shoot or like from working modeling gigs. And Yolanda's response was to have a couple of almonds and chew them really well. So filling. Right. Like, you know, make sure you chew it real slow so you get real full. Make sure your tummy has time to catch up with those chews. Like, you know, (laughs) eating three almonds is going to cut it. No, two, not three, two. Oh, right. Right. A couple. Oh, my goodness. Starting with three is wild. That's just too much. Yeah. And Yolanda also very famously shamed Gigi for wanting to eat her own birthday cake on her birthday. They, like, have this whole discussion about, like, a teeny slice and, like, minute on the lips, lifetime on the hips style parenting. And she's also been very hard on both of her daughters about their appearances. And, you know, her daughters have both had lots of plastic surgery quite young. Bella's come out saying she regrets a lot of the surgery that, you know, her mother basically allowed or perhaps encouraged her to get. And the public began to sort of push back against Yolanda and this Almond mom parenting and the hashtag almond mom really took fire. Yes, it did. And in defense of Yolanda, and you're never going to hear me say that again about her, but in defense (laughs) of Yolanda, she did not actually make up that almond advice she gave in that now infamous video clip. Mm -hmm. It appeared in diet books, Jolenta, you remember this, I remember this, Oh yeah. years before and was regurgitated by every talk show host and every celebrity magazine for pretty much all of our lives, at least all of our teenage and adult lives. And it was around so long that by the time Michelle Obama jokingly told a New York Times reporter in 2016 that Barack was so disciplined, he ate only seven almonds per night. This was a joke. No one questioned it because it was just taken as, you know, healthy body wisdom. This is Wait, just what I did not do. know this was a joke to this day until just now. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. Michelle Obama has talked about this more recently. She's like, that was a joke. <laughs> that is a funny joke because we all bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did buy it. But fortunately, times have changed and almonds are not what they used to be. In addition to that Real Housewives compilation video we were just talking about, 
There are also numerous body neutrality and body positivity TikTokers who use the almond mom hashtag. The TV show Shrill, which I was a huge fan of, included an almond mom joke punchline in 2019. And in March of this year, when Gwyneth Paltrow revealed her daily quote-unquote wellness routine to podcaster Will Cole, which consisted of vegetables, bone broth, and intermittent fasting, the public did not applaud as they once did in the past, but they instead berated Gwyneth as an almond mom. Yeah, she got it hard. And uh, just to clarify for our listeners, Gwyneth Paltrow did not even mention almonds in this interview, but that interview alone was enough to be deemed an almond mom. Exactly, exactly. It was the fact that she decided to frame her restrictive eating as healthy eating, which was the real issue. And that's what almond moms do. That being said, I did do some digging, and it turns out Gwyneth did write a diet book in 2014 called It's All Good, in which she encouraged her readers to start the day with a handful of soaked, wet, raw almonds. So she definitely has a history with almonds, even though in this particular case, it was not about the almonds. Oh, I love that. She has a history with almonds, although she does. almonds were not mentioned in particular recently. Um, <laughs> it's very, very funny. I'm curious, Kristen, how do you feel about the term almond mom becoming part of our vernacular in this past year? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Well, I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, I'm happy that there's now such vocal pushback against this kind of mother-to-daughter weight-focused parenting because, as you know, Jolenta, I grew up in a household where this was a constant. We had loads of refrigerator magnets that said things like, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips, and nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. That one's a rough one. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And right there on the fridge door, because we should be shamed just as we're trying to eat. And by the way, once you were in my fridge growing up, it's not even like the food was that tempting. The freezer was full of 290-calorie frozen diet meals. And yes, I know the exact number of calories, because from the time I was in third grade, the calorie content of everything I ate was either on the box or told to me by my mother and my nana. And they were always really concerned about my appetite. I heard my entire life, are you really going to eat all that? I still hear that from some people because I like to eat and it just makes me so mad. I listened to my nana in particular scrutinize the weight of me and every other female in her orbit, like that woman who's at the gas station, that woman in the parking lot, so-and-so's neighbor. She constantly mm-hmm. talked about what their bodies looked like. And in one attempt to get me to eat less, my nana took a single saltine cracker put it in a bowl, and then put a cup of water on it and had me sit there and watch the saltine cracker expand to teach me a lesson about how much space food was taking up in my body and why a single saltine cracker, not almonds, but a saltine cracker, were more than enough for my body as a kid. So I am very familiar with all this. I was taught from a young age to start every meal with a giant glass of water and start every morning weighing myself. So with all of that being said, I really appreciate the current almond mom discourse and the fact that it's shining a light on how lots of people grew up exactly the same way I did mm-hmm. and and suffered because of it. And we're talking about it now. We're talking about how damaging it was to us. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And your experience is super common. I experienced mothering like that. And like so many of us have been taught this messaging for so long. Yeah. And 
we were taught that messaging by our moms, but this gets to something I want to talk about that's a little bit of a pivot. Mm. Despite all the good coming from this current almond mom discourse, I think the conversation has room to go further. And by that, I think it needs to go beyond moms and specifically to dads, to men, to men more broadly, even men without children. Because let's be real, so much of our culture and of our values and of our systems of power are perpetuated by men. Men have shaped the aesthetic of what modern women should look like on film, on TV, in print, and in advertising. In Hollywood, even today, I'm talking 2023, 87% of film directors are men. 73% of senior staff at ad agencies are men. 86% of Fortune 500 CEOs are white men. And when the systems of power present thin women as the ideal and fat women as something reprehensible, it makes so much sense to me that women who want the best for their daughters want them to be thin. Because true fact Within these systems, thin women really are more likely to reap concrete rewards romantically, financially, in terms of, you know, better treatment in the world when they're thin. That is the fact of the matter, sadly. So I get why almond moms are almond moms, and I totally get why a lot of them don't even see what they're doing. After all, when your whole world is shaped by patriarchy, it's kind of hard to see that you yourself are weaponizing patriarchy against your own daughter. And, you know, most of the moms— I don't mean to let them off the hook here, but I have some sympathy for them because they're also weaponizing patriarchy against themselves. They're also victims of it, and they're also doing it to themselves. So, right, and like they want their daughters to not have a hard time, to yes. to get what they deserve on merit, and not have anything deter from that. And so, to be blunt, like body type can matter if workplaces are shallow, or just a random person who holds power is shallow. And so, they're trying to work like within this system. Yeah, and I mean, I think about my non and my mom in particular, and we don't come from a lot of money, and my nana was an orphan, and she didn't graduate from high school. And what did she have going for her? It wasn't education. It wasn't family. It wasn't class. The only thing she really felt she had power over was what she looked like. And frankly, she got rewarded for that. That Mm. was her saving grace in a lot of ways. The way she saw it was what she looked like as a woman. So I totally get where it comes from. And even women whose circumstances were not as tough as my nana's, they still get rewarded for that thinness. So I totally understand. But, you know, in a perfect world, we know we don't live in a perfect world, but I know that you agree with me here, Jolenta. In a perfect world, we'd just cut all of this out. We'd stop equating a woman's value with her size, and we'd call it a day. And I think that's what a lot of the folks using the almond mom hashtag are trying to do. But we absolutely need the white patriarchy to change, too. It can't just be on the women. It can't just be on these female TikTokers. It has to also include men and white men in particular because – Race also plays a component when it comes to right. the bodies we prize, the bodies we reward, and the bodies we punish in our society. So, yeah, women, it's so, not just on us. It's also on you, men. Right. You're basically saying burn it all down, burn it to the ground. <laughs> and rebuild it in a better better body image way. Yes, yes, yes. You know, do some burning, do some story sharing, do some rebuilding, and never again— Please, folks, never again ask me or ask anyone else, are you really going to eat all that? 
please, folks, stop complaining about your bodies around your kids. Please stop complaining about your body around your friends or about me. I don't give a damn and I don't want to hear about your weight. Your weight is the least interesting thing about you to me. And I hope it's the reverse also. I hope you don't give a damn about how much I weigh. It really doesn't matter. That's not what gives us value in this world. And let's stop talking as if that is the case. Let's stop behaving as if that's the case. And once again, I'm also including all you dudes out there. Yeah, totally. But listeners, we want to hear from you. Did you grow up with an almond mom? Are you yourself an almond mom? What are your thoughts on almond moms and the role in society that men play in the almond mom discourse? We would love to hear from you. Share your story with us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or you can weigh in, no pun intended, Uh. (laughs) on Facebook at our really great Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. Coming up, we hear from a letter writer who's struggling with other people's online lives. Stay with us. All righty, we are back with our first listener letter of the day, listener letter time. Jolenta, what do they have to say? All right, our letter writer says, I recently discovered that some trainers at the gym I go to, who I really like, follow horrible social media accounts, and I feel very conflicted. I'm talking with my therapist about this this week, but I'm curious about how you might handle this. Would you cut off social media and real-world connections with people that have strongly differing views? Hmm. So this is an interesting predicament for a few reasons. I think it also is kind of like a microcosm of what a lot of Americans or people all over the world are dealing with right now. Totally. We have different viewpoints. In the past, I might not have known about some of those viewpoints because there wasn't social media, but now I do, and... I am following my trainers on social media. And so, yeah, it's a different era now. I don't feel like our parents ever dealt with this, Jolenta, back in the day. No, my mom (laughs) didn't have to be like, my favorite step aerobics instructor has a problematic (laughs) social media account. Oh, gosh. Well, I just want to open things here by making a confession, Jolenta. Yes. I have accidentally in the past followed some problematic accounts and I didn't realize what I was doing. I I saw something funny or a friend suggested this feed is always hilarious. And I followed them. And then eventually after a few weeks or a few months, I realized, oh, hold on. I, I don't check social media enough to realize this. But now that I'm looking, I see that some of these jokes are not funny. They are punching down, not punching up. They are using people as a punchline who are maybe already discriminated against in this world. And maybe I hate that. But I could see where in the past people may have looked at some of the accounts that I followed because, like I said, I made the mistake of thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, this one post was funny. And then been like, wait, this podcaster I like follows some problematic accounts. Yeah, I didn't realize what I was doing. But I also will say, because I follow hundreds of people on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and so on, there is still a chance that some of the people I'm following without my realizing it, because I'm not on there all the time, right? that maybe some of them do from time to time post things I'm not okay with. Maybe some of the lifestyle podcasters I follow, maybe they post things that blame the victim and I didn't realize it ever. Or maybe they are 
forgiveness at all costs, which everybody knows I don't agree with. I don't know because I have not stopped to look at every single thing that every single person I follow has posted. So I just want to start off just confessing that about myself. I'm sure I have too. I'm sure I'm still following some problematic accounts. I don't know. I need to go check. <laughs> Especially when they're reality stars also. I have to say that a lot of them, their job is to be inflammatory and gl- and they get clicks. That is where I go wrong often, where I'll be like, ooh, I still follow Lisa Rinna. I don't want that. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. So even the best people in the world, because Jolente, you're one of the best people in the world. Maybe we sometimes accidentally follow people without really realizing or thinking about it. Right. And there's also just following to see what's going on and not in a supportive way. Like, I still follow Erica Jane to see what she's up to and to be like, I can't believe she posted that. I'm outraged. I probably should unfollow her because she's done bad things and supported (laughs) bad men. And I probably will go unfollow her right now. But I do not do it to support her. I do it to, like, keep an eye out in my mind, which is a bit pompous. No, no, no. It's not pompous. And a lot of us, you and I, Jolenta, a lot of our friends are in journalism or were in journalism. And part of our job was to follow accounts for people who did reprehensible things, who passed laws that were bad. People who are newsmakers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So especially when I was working in hard news journalism, I was following some of the worst people in the world. And I'm sure people probably thought I was terrible. I'm not sure if personal trainers do the same thing where they have to follow certain trends. Maybe they do have to follow certain trainers who, let's say, do the all-beef diet because they have to keep their eye on these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. It's possible they're following terrible people because it affects their work. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. Also, it's hard because like extreme fitness can sometimes veer into the realm of alt-right views somehow. Yes. In a prior episode, we talk about that pipeline a bit, like toxins, health stuff, anti-vax, they all start rolling around together. I feel your pain. It's hard to know what to do. For me, I would think about if those horrible social media accounts affect how they do their job with you. And if they follow some takes that are really problematic or dangerous about health or, you know, strength building that you like find are fundamentally dangerous, then maybe think about unfollowing or like not hiring them to train you. It's a tough call. I feel like I dealt with this a bit with a therapist, actually. As we know, my beloved therapist retired. And so I had to find a new one. And I was like, I'll just go back to this therapist that I kind of liked who stopped taking my insurance. I can like sort of afford her. So I go back and like make an appointment And then just on a whim, I'm like, where was her office when I used to go in physically? I look her up and I'm like scrolling down to see the address of the office. And I come across an article that she has written about being a Trump supporting single woman trying to date in New York City. And I was like, what? And then I click in that little like sort of self-publication website, read the article. 
it's not good. And then I click her name and she's written a bunch of like super alt-right Think PC articles. And I was like, oh no. And she says like racist things oh, and anti-vax things. And I'm like, I'm going to see this person because of like issues around vaccination and like COVID and things that she has just like takes that I find to be egregious. So I slyly was just like, actually, I found someone who I can work with in network and decided not to work with her because I couldn't justify like getting advice from someone about topics like that I now know we we have such differing views on. And like, perhaps if she hadn't gone so in depth into her views, I could have maybe been like, whatever, I can get therapy from a Republican. But you know, her views about things that I needed therapy about were so different from mine that I would have trouble like putting that aside and not wondering what she was, you know, really thinking. And I didn't really want her advice on certain subjects now knowing her personal views. Yeah, yeah. I think you're getting to something really important there, which is how reprehensible are the views and are things just a difference of opinion also? Are they doing more than just following certain accounts? Are they actually posting things themselves? Yeah. Are they publishing things themselves that are heinous? I just, uh, it, it's tough. And you have to determine for yourself what levels of horrible you can deal with. I will say... Personally, I would have a really hard time with this myself. You know, is there a way to make all of your future appointments maybe with the trainers who don't follow those accounts? That might be the best solution here. And as Jolenta said, you know, it's one thing if the person just votes with a different political party. That doesn't always mean you have to end a professional relationship with somebody. For some people it does, but it doesn't mean you have to. But it's one thing when it's like a political party and it's another when it's overt hate and vitriol, I think. And like Kristen was saying, essentially, there are plenty of trainers who don't have super problematic views, who don't have views that make you go like, do I want to like distance myself? So like, I'd say focus on those while you sort of suss out your feelings about the ones with some problematic follows. It's obviously a case by case basis. There might be some that are too problematic and some that you're going to give a pass to. Yeah, I, I think that's really good advice, Jolenta. Oh, and one last thing here, just to get back to this question from our letter writer. Would you cut off social media with this person, with these trainers? And I'm going to say, yes, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to just like not follow them anymore if you don't want to or to mute them. That yeah. is a suggestion from our producer, Chantel. If you think they'll notice the unfollow, our producer, Chantel, reminded us there's the mute where you don't have to see them or hear them, but also it looks like you yeah. still follow yeah. them and care. You can absolutely do that if you still want to see these trainers, if you decide that what they're posting or who they're following is not too egregious for you. That's something you absolutely can do. We are giving you permission right now. Not that you need our permission, but you can. All right. We are going to take a quick break. Feel free to stalk who we follow on social media. Let us know if there are <laughs> any problems. <laughs> Go check out who you want to unfollow. We'll be right back. Coming up, a speedy letter writer is being asked to slow down.
we are back with our second letter of the day. And Kristen, would you please take it away? Of course. This letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I am a 32-year-old picture book author, a dream career, who just started a new supplemental job doing data entry for a large company. They hired me with the understanding that the work was fast-paced, complex, and monotonous, and I was overjoyed. I love tedious data entry work, especially because that means I can be really creative in my off time. Suffice it to say, the job is not that complicated, and I'm often finished with my responsibilities early. So far, they've offered me the opportunity to leave early on every shift. They've also asked me to slow down several times, to milk it, and they've promised to find me other tasks. But I'm concerned because even though I'm executing the work, I've faced the problem before of being, quote, too good, and it tends to make other employees look bad. Slowing down is physically painful and draining, but also sitting here at my desk with nothing to do is also not good. What should I do? What a predicament. I feel like, Kristen, you could have written this in another life (laughs) had you been a picture book author, which is such a cool job, by the way, letter writer. But... Kristen, what are your thoughts, since I feel like this is something you may have encountered in your life? Yeah, sadly, I have encountered this, and I've had different bosses do different things with me. And I'm not sure if any of these will work for our letter writer, but one boss early on in my career, fresh out of college, I was working a job, said, it creates more work for me when you come into my office every half hour and ask for more work. Please leave me alone and just let me come up with more work for you. Please, in the meantime, do what regular humans do. Take a break. Go for a walk. Go to the bathroom. (laughs) You know, um, my boss was very exasperated with me, but also trying to be very kind. But I didn't even think about it until much later when I was a boss again. And I'm like, oh, that's right. It does create irritation and disrupt your boss when every half hour you're like, give me more work. Give me more work. So I, I now having seen it on the other side of things, think I must have been very irritating. But I've had other bosses who have gone the other direction and just given me boatloads of work to do, where I had coworkers who were maybe working on one project at a time. And because I was so competent, I was working on six, and I was starting to get resentful in a totally different way, where I'm like, why am I managing six projects at once while these yahoos on my right, I shouldn't call them yahoos, I loved my coworkers, but they were coasting by on one project each. And that also was uncomfortable for me. But one thing that I found for myself, and you may be able to do this now in the era of COVID more than in the past, was if I worked from home a couple of days a week, on those days, I could just plow through all of my work, get it done by lunchtime, and then work on my other projects. So one option may be as simple as that. May I please work from home a couple of days a week? So for those two days, you don't have to be as frustrated. Just Get all your work done on your timeline, which apparently is very fast, and then spend the rest of your day with maybe your G chats or your Slack open so they can reach you if they need to, but mostly you can just focus on your picture book work. So that is one suggestion. Maybe work from home a couple days a week. Another thing you can do is to take that extra time when you finish your work early 
and maybe do different busy work tasks that need to be done, like make your grocery lists, maybe look over your bank accounts, do things that free up even more time so that when you get home, you can just really focus on being a picture book author. You know, we all have those busy work tasks, right? Those lists that we have to make, those people we have to think of like, oh, I have to call back this person. I have to email this person. So maybe just take an hour each day to do household management, list making, planning, and so on. And it will hopefully give you even more creative juices later on because you're not thinking about those kinds of things either. And then last but not least, maybe just be happy that your bosses are offering you the chance to go home early every shift. In your words, it's happened every single shift so far. They've let you go home early. Maybe just embrace that and do that. But Jolenta, what do you have to say? Yeah, I would say going home early is fine as long as it doesn't seem to be ruffling any feathers or make you feel like you're like missing out or, you know, getting special treatment in any way. Like, why not just do what your bosses tell you? It's like part of their job to manage you. And they think that you are managing so well you can go home. Another thing I would suggest and, you know, do this within reasonable limits is do other work at your job. Don't do like another salary job at your job. That's probably illegal or something. Um, but, but, you know, if you are a freelance artist, you probably have admin type work that you need to do for yourself, whether that's writing up a quick invoice, shooting off a few emails, scheduling a meeting here or there. You can spend the last hour or so at your job if you're done with your work work doing a bit of that admin work. I know it's not always encouraged. That might be why your boss is like, just leave. So like other people don't see you doing work that's not like work work. But I've also had jobs where it is encouraged. I've had jobs where I do mild data entry and also work at a box office. And they're like, when you have nothing to enter and no customers, feel free to read a book. Feel free to write your screenplay. Feel free to do anything that doesn't like disrupt other people or make it look like you're totally slacking off when someone does have something for you to do. <laughs> people walk by your desk and it's like, oh, online shopping again. <laughs> right. They don't want to see that. They don't want to see you like covertly watching a movie with one headphone in. But if you're reading an article <laughs> that has to do with your creative job and not your data job, like usually it's not causing any problems. Another suggestion, and this might be difficult, but possibly you could think about reframing the issue to think of pacing as part of your job. If you've been asked to slow down by a boss, perhaps that is now part of the task. It is data entry at a bit of a slower pace. And like, I know some people like physically it pains them to slow down. But for me, it has helped to try and reframe issues around jobs as like part of my job is to now take five extra minutes with each, you know, row of data or something like that. For me, I've had opposite problems of like showing up late or doing things slow. And I've had to reframe the job where it's like I've had to train my brain to be like, 15 minutes ahead of when I'm supposed to arrive is like now when my job requires me to arrive. And that has helped me like stay on time more because it's just 
the forced reframing of like, I have to show up earlier than other people. And that gets me there on time. <laughs> I like that. I like the reframing. Re- I think reframing works in a lot of situations. If you can't change the situation, change your mindset around that. I think that's great. I'd also be remiss if I didn't recommend listening to a podcast or two at work if you can. <laughs> oh, yes. Might I recommend one called How to Be Fine? Right. Totally. You might be even listening to it right now. And don't just listen. Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. (laughs) And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, you can always weigh in on the conversation at facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen and Jolenta. You can also write to us and seek advice at kristenandjolenta at gmail.com. We love hearing from all of you. Until next time, I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, stay fine. Stitcher.